the entire month of April, um, we've been in that process of trying to change our mindset from just sharing the gospel, talking about God, um, to really living out the message and really being that message. And uh, a lot of times there's this disconnect um, between us and people because uh, we, we say we believe in certain things, uh, but then when those people look at our lives, they don't actually see those same things we are talking about being lived out. And uh, really there's, there's a nationwide shift going on right now too uh, because we, we see it across the nation. Churches are closing. Uh, Christianity in America is shrinking. Societal and uh, political Christian privileges are disappearing. Christianity, um, the popularity of it is on the decline. And a lot of people are, are afraid because of this. Uh, me personally, I'm excited. Um, I, I don't know if God is behind some of those things. I don't know if he's orchestrating them. Or maybe he's simply using those things. I, I don't think it really matters. Um, but I do believe that God is in the process of pruning his church. I think that he is, he is um, getting rid of dead weight. I think he is, he is calling out those people who are lukewarm. I think that he's exposing the difference between what's religious and what's life-changing. And uh, so, so out of this, what is going to emerge is what I believe will be the most authentic and most sold-out group of Christians that our country has seen in several decades. And uh, that gets me excited. And uh, one, one way that God is going to use us in a greater way is when uh, we, we really start living out the message of truth and grace. And that is what we were talking about this morning. John 1.14 says, The word became flesh and made his dwelling among us. We have seen his glory, the glory of the one and only Son who came from the Father, full of grace and truth. And so Jesus, he, he walked in this tension of full grace and full truth, knowing that both of those things were too important to water down either one of them. And so when, when we can learn with the help of the Holy Spirit in our lives, okay, to live out a life full of grace and truth, that is when your life will become the message. It will be a message that the world doesn't quite understand, okay, because those two things a lot of times are, are, are strange together. And uh, so they're not going to necessarily understand it, but they're going to be drawn to the tension that it creates. And it's, what it's going to do is it's going to give an authenticity to your faith like you've never had before. Because we all want to be more genuine, don't we? we? We all want to be more authentic. We want our beliefs to drive what we say. And we want what we say. We want that to be what we actually do. Okay, so all of those things are on the same page. And I kind of think of it as, uh, have you ever had a favorite book and uh, you hear that they're going to make a movie out of that book? And so on, on the one side, you're kind of excited. You're like, this is great. I love this book. I'm really interested to see what it's like as a movie. And on the other side of it, um, you're kind of nervous too because you're like, I really don't want them to botch it, all right? And uh, because you know that, that not everyone has read the book. And so you want other people to experience the real thing. And at times, those movies are a huge letdown. And uh, if you read the book, it's even more of a blow. And, and what you do is you, you find yourself trying to defend the book and uh, trying to convince people that, no, uh, forget about the movie. The, the movie wasn't an honest portrayal, okay? It was an injustice to the real thing. And, and there's been a lot of people who have been driven away from Christianity because of that same concept. They, they heard your message, or maybe they read the Bible for themselves, but when they, when they look at Christians, supposedly super fans of this book, they don't actually see it 
being lived out. When people look at your life, do they see an authentic portrayal of the Bible? So what, you're saying I, I have to be perfect? No, not at all. If, if you've read the Bible, uh, some of the individuals in here that God used, it just blows my mind because there are some people in there that did some horrible, horrible things. And I'm thinking to myself, God, why would you choose those people? Um, but he did. And so we have examples of people, okay, who are completely broken, did awful things, and yet God used them. And so if you are one of those people where you have, okay, a past of, of bad choices, all right, it's only going to make it that much more obvious when you change direction and allow God to change you. But the direction matters, and, and, and there's a lot of Christians that are flatlined, all right? Flatlined is not the direction that we want to be going. So when it, when it comes to a grace and truth, uh, we, we don't naturally like tension. Uh, it's, tension is, is uncomfortable. And so when we hear full of grace and truth, we think, okay, I'm going to take 50% grace, I'm going to take 50% truth, and uh, okay, I've, I've found the balance, and we kind of think of it as this hundred-sum total but, but that's not the way that it's supposed to work. Jesus didn't balance grace and truth. He was the fullness of both grace and truth. Now, easier said than done. I, I realize that. Now, at, at times, we, we may seemingly approach situations with, with, with seemingly more grace or truth, and that's okay, but what we can't do is we can't detach grace from truth. We can't say, okay, this time, uh, yep, this time I'm going to use grace. And then we'll see, maybe next time, maybe next time I'll use truth. We are supposed to be 100% grace, 100% truth at the same time. And that is the message that the world is going to recognize. And we know this because Jesus showed us that it works. So this morning, what are, what are you filled with? Are, are you filled with grace? Are you filled with truth? Do you lean more towards one versus the other? Truth lets people know where you stand. Grace lets people know that you love them. In uh, college, I was shopping for a new pair of jeans. And uh, hard to tell under this husky frame, but I'm kind of a beanpole. And uh, it makes shopping for pants difficult because I need to find one where the size, you know, the length is greater than the waist size. And uh, so at this time, Amy and I were dating. So she was back on campus, and I went to Kohl's and uh, found the pair of jeans that I wanted, and sure enough, they didn't have my size. And so um, I, I went up, to, I brought the jeans up and went to one of the um, desks, and, and I asked the lady, and uh, she was about my age. And uh, so at first, I thought that she was just really nice, and uh, I realized pretty quickly that she was getting flirty fast. And uh, so she brought me over to one of these kiosks and she said that she could order me the right size and that she would give me her personal discount and didn't mind that. And uh, so I was kind of behind her and, and this was the kiosk. And she was kind of doing one of these things, you know. And, and she, she knew what she was doing. Guys, don't, don't pretend that women don't know what they're doing. They know exactly what they're doing. And so, so anyways, I, we, we kind of go through the process and, and uh, she orders the jeans. And uh, so afterwards, she was kind of trying to strike up conversation. I just kind of ended it and ran out of there. And uh, so anyways, I felt, being the good boyfriend that I was, that I should um, call Amy and let her know that, uh, you know, this sales associate had been flirting with me. And so, so I call Amy up. And by the way, guys, if any of you are dating, if you want to know what not to say to your girlfriend, this is, this is the thing you shouldn't say. And so I call Amy up, and I was like, hey, Amy, I uh, just wanted to let you know that a lady was flirting with me, um, but you don't have to worry, because why would I want a burger when I already have a heifer? 
Dead, dead silence. Absolute dead silence. Amy, Amy, did you hear me? Yeah, I heard you. You're, you're not laughing at my joke. I'm hanging up now. And so she hangs up. And, and so, so the truth of the story is that I already had the whole package in Amy, okay? I didn't need to go. I wasn't tempted by anything else. But needless to say, okay, my, my approach was completely void of any kind of grace at all. We are going to be in uh, John chapter 4 this morning. So if you want to turn there with me. Verse 1. Therefore, when the Lord knew that the Pharisees had heard that Jesus was making and baptizing more disciples than John, although Jesus himself was not baptizing, but his disciples were, he left Judea and went away into Galilee. And so for those of you that might not know the Pharisees, they were corrupt religious leaders of the time. Uh, they, they followed all the laws to the T, but their heart was, you know, never in the right place. And so the Pharisees, they are interested, okay, about numbers because they know that with numbers comes influence and comes control. And uh, so, so they're keeping an eye on who these people are and how many followers they have. And so they don't, they don't want Jesus, they don't want John the Baptist, they don't want anyone else to have that influence except them. So he left Judea and went away into Galilee, and he had to pass through Samaria. And I find that um, wording interesting, he had to pass through Samaria, because he didn't, okay? He didn't have to pass through Samaria. And so what you had is you had uh, Judea, and then you had Samaria, and then you had Galilee, and a lot of times what Jews would do is they would actually go east of the Jordan River and they would bypass Samaria because they didn't want to go through it to get to Galilee. And uh, so anyways, Jesus had a reason to go to Samaria, okay? He didn't have to go, okay? There was a reason that he was going. So he came to the city of Samaria called Sychar near the parcel of ground that Jacob gave his son Joseph. And Jacob's well was there, so Jesus, being wearied from his journey, was sitting by the well. It was about the sixth hour. And so the way that they counted time back then is it started at sunrise, okay? So around six o'clock. So the sixth hour would actually be around noontime, which is significant to the story as well. There came a woman of Samaria to draw water. Jesus said to her, give me a drink, for his disciples had gone away into the city to buy food. So here is where the, the stage gets set, all right, Jesus is a Jew, this lady is a Samaritan, and Samaritans and Jews, uh, they don't mix. And so what had happened back there, there was 12 tribes of Israel, and at one point there was 10 in the northern kingdom, two in the southern kingdom, and the nation got split, and around 721 BC, a group called the Assyrians, they came in and they took over that northern kingdom. And uh, so what they did is they took many of those Jews um, into cap captivity, um, they, they killed some, and others ended up just kind of staying there while others fled. And those ones that stayed there, they ended up intermarrying with those Assyrians. And that is where this deep-seated dislike became between the Jews and um, this group called the Samaritans, because the Samaritans, they were half Jew, half Gentile. Now, like I said before, the, the time of day is also significant. 
Um, people didn't normally draw water at noon because it was hot out at that time. All right, drawing water was a process. They had these heavy clay pots. They'd bring those pots from home. They'd go to the well. They'd have to draw up the water. They would fill the water in the pots, and now you have an even heavier pot, and they'd have to bring that home. And so it only made sense for people to do this at, you know, later in the day or earlier in the day when it was cooler out. And uh, so it's significant that this lady, this Samaritan lady, is coming to the well at noon. And you can, you can picture this, this daily event of going to get water, and most oftentimes it was the women going to get the water. You can see it as being kind of this social event, right? Ladies going together, helping one another, you know, drawing up water, talking. This lady, she didn't want to be social. Okay, this, this lady came at noon, I think specifically, okay? She was trying to escape other people. She was trying to go unseen, unnoticed, and Jesus, Jesus is the one who initiates the conversation. That's not a small detail. Jesus ignores what separates them. He knows that she's a Samaritan. She knows that he's a Jew. He ignores what separates them. Verse 9, Therefore the Samaritan woman said to him, How is it that you being a Jew ask me for a drink, since I am a Samaritan woman? For Jews have no dealings with Samaritans. And so she gets right to the point. All right, she's not pulling any punches. And she's like, uh, did you miss the memo, Jew, Samaritan? Uh, we, we don't mix. When it, the Bible says have no dealings with, it actually meant that you weren't supposed to share the same dishes. Because if you were to share a cup or, or a plate that a Samaritan had used, it would have made you ceremonially unclean as a Jew. Verse 10. Jesus answered and said to her, if you knew the gift of God, and who it is who says to you, give me a drink, you would have asked him, and he would have given you living water. She said to him, sir, you have nothing to draw with, and the well is deep. Where then do you get that living water? You're not greater than our father Jacob, are you, who gave us this well and drank of it himself and his sons and his cattle? So Jesus says, if, if you knew who I was, okay, you would be asking me for a drink, all right? And, and he's speaking figuratively, of course, and she takes what he says as literal, and she says, well, what, so you can make a better well, okay? You can make a better well than our father Jacob who, who made this one, or you can somehow get deeper and, and get this magical living water that you're talking about. Jesus answered and said to her, everyone who drinks of this water will thirst again, but whoever drinks of the water that I will give him shall never thirst. But the water that I give him will become in him a well of water springing up to eternal life. The woman said to him, sir, give me this water so I will not be thirsty nor come all the way here to draw. So she's thinking, this sounds great. This, this guy must be some sort of an inventor. Um, drawing water sucks. I don't like having to come here every single day to fill up these pots. So hopefully he has a great solution for this. Verse 16, he said to her, go, call your husband and come here. All right, so that now this, this is where Jesus, he shifts the conversation. The woman answered and said, I have no husband. Jesus said to her, you have correctly said I have no husband, for you have had five husbands, and the one whom you now have is not your husband. This you have said truly. So Jesus, he shifts the conversation, and all of a sudden he lays her life out in front of her, her sin. He doesn't water down what it is that she's done or what it is that she's doing. The woman said to him, sir, I perceive that you are a prophet. 
All right, so she's like, all right, you, you must be some sort of prophet. You just told me stuff about my life. There's, there's no way that you should know that. And she's getting uncomfortable. And I think that we can all understand where she's at at this point. Okay, that, that feeling when, when someone finds out about your faults or your past or your mistakes. Okay, maybe nobody knows yet. It's that anxiety that you're feeling, just wondering if someone really found out the true me, what would they think of me? If someone really knew that the thoughts that went through my head or, or the things that I'm doing now or the things that I've done in the past, that there's no way that they, they would accept me. Okay, and so she's having that uncomfortable feeling as Jesus is, is laying out these thoughts in front of her. Verse 20, our fathers worshiped in this mountain and you people say that in Jerusalem is the place where men ought to worship. So she starts to deflect Okay, it's defense mechanism. She, Jesus makes it personal, and she brings it to something, again, that separates them. And so what she's referencing is an ongoing debate between uh, the Samaritans and the Jews about the proper place to worship God, all right? And so she's, she's just trying to deflect onto something else. Jesus said to her, woman, believe me, an hour is coming when neither in this mountain nor in Jerusalem will you worship the Father, you worship what you do not know. We worship what we know for salvation is from the Jews, talking about himself. But an hour is coming and now is when the true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and truth. For such people, the Father seeks to be his worshipers. And so Jesus, again, counters what separates them. Okay, she keeps bringing up what separates them. He keeps countering that and trying to remove that. The woman said to him, I know that the Messiah is coming, he who is called Christ. When that one comes, he will declare all things to us. She tries one last time to evade Jesus. Jesus said to her, I who speak to you am he. At this point, his disciples came and they were amazed that he had been speaking with a woman, yet no one said, why do you seek or why do you speak with her? And so the disciples come on the scene and they should be used to this by now, okay, Jesus being in, in what is seemingly inappropriate conversations or, or in strange situations. And so the disciples come on the scene and they're like, seriously, Jesus? Okay, first of all, you're alone with a woman. Okay, that's, that's not a good thing. Secondly, she's a Samaritan, another bad thing. Also, she's at a well at noon, obviously trying to be by her. So she probably has a colorful, colorful past, you know. So the, all of these issues, and the disciples are thinking, you know, Jesus, what in the world are you doing? Verse 28, so the woman left her water pot and went into the city and said to the men, come see a man who told me all the things that I have done. This is not the Christ, is it? So grace takes intentionality, okay? Jesus comes to Samaria, to this well, because he wants to interact with this Samaritan lady. And Jesus doesn't label her as less than, okay, because of her societal status like everybody else does. In fact, Jesus is the one who initiates that conversation with her, talks first. And so as Jesus starts sharing what he knows about the life she's been living, he also refrains from attaching the adjectives that, that would have been truthful and accurate about that life that she's living. He, he, he doesn't attach those. Grace and truth, they don't work against each other. They amplify one another, but it does, it does cause tension. When we aren't full of both grace and truth, what happens is we either become an enabler or we become an inhibitor. Okay, when, when we freely use grace, but we detach it from truth, okay, then, then, then no change really happens. Okay, we, we're just enabling them. 
When, when truth is shown, but grace is absent in that process, we become inhibitors to the very truth, the very message that it is that we're trying to share. Because if you share it in a way with no grace, guess what? They won't want your truth, whether it's true or not. Grace creates an environment for truth to be heard. For all of you uh, Facebook warriors out there, you know who you are. I'm friends with some of you on Facebook. Um, First off, I just want to say that social media is perhaps the worst platform to try to convince anyone of anything. And I know myself, I've gotten into conversations I shouldn't have gotten into before on Facebook. But it's funny because on social media, Okay, you see this different side of people oftentimes emerge. And uh, they have this idea of anonymity, um, whether real or fake, where they're behind this computer screen, so it's like I can just kind of say tons of stupid stuff, and because it's not in person, that it's okay. And uh, some of you have a Facebook problem with, with the things that you post. And you're, you're so divisive and, and aggressive, and you do it with this idea that you're standing up for the truth. You think that, that truth, well, it'll just speak for itself. It doesn't. You think that truth is more important than grace. It's not. And so some of you are so loud and abrasive about your cause, okay, maybe it's politics, guns, whatever it might be, whatever it is, that if you were to then share your truth about Jesus with that person, they would never hear it. You are preemptively burning bridges. Grace creates an environment for truth to be heard. And so, so think back to the story of Jesus and the Samaritan. What if Jesus had just straight up started out with the truth? What if he goes up to this lady and just said, uh, you're a Samaritan, your mixed blood is proof that you have sinful ancestors, and uh, apparently the apple didn't fall too far from the tree because you were sleeping around a lot. Okay, I don't think Jesus would have gotten the same result. He probably would have gotten a clay pot smashed over his head. So when full truth is shown, that, no, that old lifestyle is no longer enabled, okay? And when full grace is shown, that that new lifestyle that emerges out of truth, okay, that's no longer inhibited. It's no longer slowed down because those people aren't going to be resistant to you in the same way when grace is shown. So what does full grace and what does full truth look like? So often we, we do our best to resolve the tension, to make it go away, not realizing that tension is actually what makes us effective. Uh, not only that, but it's actually what makes us reliant on the Holy Spirit as well. Think about a, a rubber band, okay? A rubber band, it's useless if there's no tension, okay? Its very purpose is designed around using tension. And so people who rid the tension from their lives Okay, they, they tend to be one extreme or the other. And so you've got the people who just love, love to share you their truth. Okay, and, and so they're going to say, this is the way it is, this is truth, and, and they don't even know or care whether they're being effective with it or not. And, and on the other side, you've got people who are all about grace, okay? Uh, you, you just got to show more grace, just more grace, more grace. You, you just got to love them. You just got you just to love them. And they're, they're so focused on that. But when you detach grace from truth, you can love people on their way to hell, but they're still going in that same direction. There's a, a group of people that the church has historically been horrible at communicating with and just the way that, that we have treated them. LGBTQ. Try to say that three times fast. We, we've shared our truth 
okay? And, and, and usually it goes something like this. Well, do you want to go to hell or not? Okay, and that, that's about, that's about the, how the conversation goes. As if just cramming the truth down their throats is going to be enough to, to try to help them through lining up their sexual identity with who God created them to be. Now, now truth is important, okay, because what, what culture will tell you is that if you are gay, you are born that way. If you're bisexual, just choose what makes you happy. If you're transgender, you can go ahead and, and change your physical body to match up with your mental mindset. Okay, so the, the truth is that these things, they are destructive and they will lead you away from God and towards hell. Okay, but, but there's, there's another side to it as well. Truth provides a, a foundation. It shows us God's plan. And, and when we talk about topics like these, okay, like these ones, they're uncomfortable. It, it causes tension. And our initial reaction is we want to try to get rid of that tension that is caused by topics like this. And so what we do is we, we try to pull in both sides and ease that tension a bit. And so we, we slogans to try, try to satisfy, okay, both sides. And, and so we say things like, well, God loves you just the way you are. It's kind of true. It's half true. He, he does, he loves you, and he'll, he'll love you no matter what you do. But God sent Jesus to be murdered on our behalf because of the way that we were, because of the way that we are. All right, and, and so, so before we accepted God's grace and forgiveness, okay, we, we were broken people, we were, we were stuck in sin. All right, so saying that Jesus loves you just the way you are, it's kind of a half, half truth. Another one that we hear, God hates the sin but loves the sinner. Well, who can disagree with that, you know? And it's just kind of like, oh, we tie up a bow on it, all right, discussion gone, tension gone. Well, how, how long can you separate what someone does, okay, from who they actually are? What, one time, three times, 10 times, 20 times? Who, who knows that number? And so the gray side of it, okay, with topics like this, is that we need understanding. Doesn't mean you need to accept, doesn't mean you need to condone, okay, that sort of lifestyle. But it does mean that you need to exhibit grace. It means that you need to, to listen. A lot of times, church, we aren't very good at listening. And uh, with, with this subject, we need to understand their struggle. We need to understand their mindset. We need to listen and, and help you know, understand and get on the same page of what it is that they are actually going through. And what happens is a lot of times we view people through their problems instead of as a person first. Okay, with issues like this, how often do we see the issue first? Okay, we have that lens where it's like, okay, here's the problem. I'm going to see that, and so I'm going to speak truth to that problem, and we forget about the person. We need to make sure that we are showing understanding. Another tough subject, obesity. An addiction to food or an addiction to an un unhealthy lifestyle uh, when it comes down to it, obesity and, and alcoholism, they really just kind of have the same roots. One isn't really better or worse than the other. And so in the, in the past, the church has been quick to condemn excess in alcohol, but obesity has become so common or acceptable that it doesn't really get talked about. And, and so the truth is that, that both alcoholism and, and obesity, they're rooted in things like excess, gluttony, laziness, addiction, 
And I, I like how Pastor Tim puts it when he talks to his Chi Alpha leadership. He says that if you are lazy um, physically, you're going to be lazy spiritually too. And so while this year in the world, about 36 million people are going to die from not having enough food to eat, majority of those being kids, there's going to be about 4 million that are going to die from eating too much. And church, this, this is a tough subject to talk about, okay? But truth requires and necessitates that we don't just label it as taboo or a sensitive subject and not talk about it, okay? Truth requires that we do bring up things like this and not just ignore it. Some of the most awkward and hardest conversations that we have with people is, is there some, sometimes people look for, for the grace of God in the form of a quick fix for physical healing um, to, to remedy self-imposed health issues that have resulted from years and years of, of bad habits and unhealthy lifestyle. And they want a 10-second prayer to undo a lifetime of undisciplined behavior. And the truth is that your, your prayer probably isn't going to be found in a 10-second in a miraculous healing, but it's probably going to be found in a healthy lifestyle. Now, you, you can share with someone, okay, their problems about their weight, but guess what? Most people are very aware of their weight, okay? Most people know where they're at with that. And so the gray side of it is that people don't just need to be informed, of, okay, of how much they weigh. They need to be shown that support as well. Okay, pounds go on easy, but they come off really tough. All right, diets, diets are temporary fixes. Okay, working out, that takes time, it takes discipline, it takes effort. Okay, for most people, it's not a fun thing. And so, so grace tells us that we need to encourage people, okay, when they try their, their first diet and exercise and maybe that fails. Support says, grace says, that we need to encourage them. Okay, we, we need to help them through that. Okay, the grace side of it is that we need to not use manipulation to shame or guilt them, but we need to encourage them and we need to help them in that process. Grace can be time-consuming, okay? This kind of support, it might not just be a verbal support. It might mean that you need to go exercise with this person. It might mean that you need to eat healthy when you're around them and with them to help them with that. Grace can be very time-consuming. Another tough subject Pornography. There's usually not too much discussion when it comes to the truth of that. Um, if you're wondering the truth about it, it's wrong, it's destructive. Um, it it's really is that simple. But, but I can personally attest to this being one of the most addictive things out there. Uh, from age about 14 to 19, I was very addicted to pornography. And uh, while, while you're viewing those images and, and those videos, it's a really empowering feeling because you know, you're only one click away from anything you want to see. And it's this, this idea where, where, again, you feel empowered. Where, and, you know, but then afterwards, okay, after I would view those videos or those images, I felt so shameful and so guilty and so disgusted with myself every time because I knew it was wrong. All right? And the only truth that I knew about it was that this was going to lead me down a path that I did not want to go. This was going to lead me on a path away from God. This was going to lead me on a path towards hell. Okay? If you're not going towards God, you're going in a direction you don't want to go. But what I needed, okay, what I needed was someone to show me another truth as well, the truth that there is freedom from that. Okay? And that's something that I honestly didn't know. 
okay? Because I felt trapped. I, I would try to quit, okay? And sometimes it would last for a few weeks. Sometimes it would last for a few months. And all of a sudden, I would find myself back into the habit of it every day, multiple times a day. Just had to keep seeing more and more and more. And so I needed someone to not only tell me that truth, but also tell me the truth that there's freedom from it. From it. And I needed someone to help me with the accountability of that. I need someone who could, could invest that time into helping me. Showing, time, showing grace can be time-consuming. Sharing truth can be gut-wrenching. It can be uncomfortable, okay? These, these topics of discussion, okay, these are not easy things to talk about. Worship team, you can make your way up. We're going to have a time of prayer in just a minute. The, the reason that these are so important, though, is that, that truth, okay, it can completely change someone's life. Truth can introduce someone to their creator for the very first time that maybe they've never met. Showing grace, it can be frustrating because at times you feel like people aren't meeting up with your expectations, okay? And, and at times when people keep failing, okay, they keep making mistakes again and again and again, okay, that can be frustrating because you feel like, hey, you know better. Hey, hey, you've, you've already been through this, okay? And yet, grace tells us, the Bible tells us with forgiveness that we forgive and show grace again and again and again and again. And so this morning, we're not looking to strike a balance between truth and grace, okay? We, we want to follow that example of Jesus and we want to be full of both. And maybe you've struggled with one of these towards other people, okay? Maybe you have been more on the grace side, okay? Or maybe you've been more on the truth side. Or, or maybe it's with your own life, okay? Maybe you've given yourself a free pass and what you really need is hard truth. We're gonna go into a time of prayer. Um, if I could have board members and their spouses come up, um, if I could have pastoral staff um, to pray with people. Church, Confession is a really healthy thing. I know that a lot of times we like to hide our sin, okay? We, we like to hide the wrong things that we've done. We, we like to keep it in the dark because, again, we're so worried about what someone is going to think of us if they actually know the different things that we've done. But, but when you keep your secrets, when you keep your sin and your struggles, when you keep that dark, okay, you will not find freedom from it. Okay, that, that's exactly where Satan wants you, is, is backed into one of those corners, keeping your sin to yourself, just trying to do whatever you can by yourself. Guess what? You're going to fail again and again and again. God has called us. He's created. Okay, he, Jesus came to start his church, okay? And we are supposed to live out this life together. And, and so I just really want to encourage you, if you are looking for freedom this morning from something, if you are looking for a fresh start, all right, it's found here. It's found in truth. It's found in grace. And so I just encourage you to be bold and to come up here and pray with some of these individuals or couples. And guess what? They're going to show you both, okay? If, you're, if you are going to share something that you've been struggling with, they're not going to tell you that it's okay. But guess what? They are going to show grace as well, just like Jesus does. All right? That is where freedom is found from our struggles and our sins. It is in truth and grace, not for 50% of both, not some sort of balance, okay, the fullness of both. So we're going to take a few minutes, and uh, again, if, if you're having something that you're struggling with, I just really encourage you to just come up and, and get some prayer for it.
praying, just keep praying. I'm just going to close this out as a, a group, and we can go um, on our way and on our day uh, full of grace and truth. Dear God, uh, we, we just thank you for the example that you sent us in Jesus and just the, the picture that you've laid out um, where we are just supposed to be full of grace and full of truth. And, and I just pray that we would, we would do that in our own lives and we would do that in, in the lives of the people around us because that is going to, to be the, 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 really the deciding factor that, that shows people that we're not only preaching a message, we're not only sharing a message, but that we are a message, that lives, our lives are that same message. And so God, just, just as, as Jesus met with that Samaritan lady at the well, God, I just pray that we would have that same mindset exhibiting grace and still not backing down from the truth at the same time. God, just remind us that grace creates an environment for truth to be heard. Holy Spirit, just please help us this next week to really just exhibit both those things. And we just pray this all in your name. Amen.